Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you guys here to all be together this morning. So what I want to do is a little bit of a whistle-stop tour through the last couple of months so that we're all up to speed and starting on the same page. Is that fair? Excellent. Oh, yeah, I love a bit of participation, so please feel free to talk back at any point as long as it's nice. So um, what we've been doing for the last number of months around here is we have been talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And it's this dynamic rule and reign of God. And we've been looking at really digging into what does that mean? What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus? Because the kingdom of heaven is the thing that Jesus talked about the most when he was here on earth. And it's actually, for those of us who follow Jesus, a calling on our lives is to live for the king of the kingdom, discovering and realizing what it means to live in the power of that kingdom right now in our lives and in our communities. And it's for today, right now, we discover this so that we can see what impact it has on our communities today, but it's also for a lot bigger purpose than that. It's also for generations to come that we might never get to meet, that we will never get to meet this side of heaven. And so we've been really exploring this and spending a long time really going through this and seeing what the impact could mean for our lives. What does it mean to be called a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a kingdom carrier and follow after the king? And the last few weeks, we have been doing that through looking through this question that Haley already mentioned, actually, very beautifully. Good job, Hales. Um, And it's this, how should we live today to see our community look more like Jesus tomorrow? So it's realizing the kingdom in our context and in our communities right now, for right now, but also for like 100 years from now, for generations to come. And the last couple of weeks, we've been doing that by looking through the book of Romans together. And so this morning, what I would really love to do is for us to carry on looking a little bit more at the writer of the book of Romans. So Romans was a letter and it was written by this guy called Paul. So I'd love us to spend a little bit of time kind of being introduced to Paul a little bit more, learning who he was, hearing a little bit about his lifestyle. And then we'll go on to talk really practically because we've we've been chatting about this stuff for a long time we can kind of get to the point of going, that's amazing, and that works in a talk, but so what? Like, what does it mean for me right now, in this moment, in this service? What does it mean for me tomorrow morning? What does it mean practically in our world, in our choices, in our lifestyles? So that's, that's where we're going. All good? Excellent. Thanks for the chat. Okay, so this guy, Paul, who wrote the letter to the church in Rome, Um, actually the first time we meet him is called Saul. And the reason he's called Saul is because he was a Jew and Saul was his Jewish name. So he was going by his Jewish name at that point. And he was really proud Jewish boy. He was really proud of his heritage, really proud of his roots. He loved where he came from. He loved the tribe that he was part of. And we read actually in the book of Acts, oh, I should tell you, I'm gonna jump around scripture a little bit 
jump around, no, never mind. I'm gonna jump around scripture a little tiny bit because what I wanna do is kind of map a little bit of Saul's life so that we have a bit of story and a little bit of history told by him. So I'm gonna jump through some of his different letters that he wrote to different churches just to reference um, him telling his story, okay? So bear with me, let's go, let's go. So in Philippians Three, Saul talks about this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's quite the title to give yourself, isn't it? A Jew of Jews. He was proud of his roots. And as many Jewish boys would have been at that time, he was going through um, the academic education system of the Jewish boys, only boys at that stage. And he was becoming a Pharisee. And he did go on and become a Pharisee. But he was doing really well at Pharisee school. We'll just call it that for ease. He was doing really well at that. He was progressing through the ranks. He was learning this stuff. There was a lot to learn to be a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a religious group, but they were really upstanding with big reputation in their communities. People would have gone to them for wisdom, to seek advice on stuff. They'd have gone for them to them for prayer. They'd have gone for them... Um, hearing their teaching in the synagogues, which was their church, they'd have been well-respected, well-revered in their community. They had good position in their community. They were upstanding citizens, I would say. And all of their teaching was based on the law, the word of God that they had. And they learned it, and they learned it, and they learned it. So Saul would have been like, if you pointed a random word on a page in scripture and go, tell me what that scripture is, he could have read you the whole entire part not just a couple of verses. I have a hard time remembering even a couple of verses. So he was great. Now, not only that, but he was doing really well at it. And we find out in this next little bit that he, as he describes his education system, that he was definitely not from Northern Ireland because he did not say it like this. I have a couple of GCSEs, but I don't like to talk about it. And he'd not mention at all the fact that he had a master's degree, right? That's what we would do here. This is how Saul did it. He said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. And I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was like, P.S. I was better than everybody else at it. Nothing competitive there. <laughs> he was confident in his abilities and in his learnings. And he knew he was doing really, really well. And as he progressed through and he became a Pharisee, he was successful. And actually, scholars tell us that there's nothing to suggest that he couldn't have gone on to become like the top dog Pharisee. Not sure that's the official title, but that he would have gone all the way. He could have, there was like no limit. He was on the career path to success. This religious career path stayed him in good, or set him in good stead for life. It was setting him up to win for life. His reputation was brilliant. He was revered. He was of good standing. He had a good position in his community. He was zealous. He was passionate for the traditions that had gone before him as a Jew. But not only that, Saul was actually born in a city called Tarsus. And Tarsus was um, a Roman city. And so the Jews were under Roman oppression at that stage. But if you, you could actually live in this city and buy Roman citizenship, which would earn you perks under the Romans, okay? So it was kind of like the path to a bit more comfortable life as a Jew at that time. 
But actually, with Saul, he didn't buy his citizenship. He was actually born a Roman citizen. So not only was he born a Jew of Jews, but he was actually born a Roman citizen as well. So his life was comfortable. It was set up. It was ready for success. And he was on the road for that. And also... He was so zealous and passionate for what he had learned in the scriptures so far and the traditions of the Pharisees that he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was a heretic, that he was going against the word of God. So Jesus at this stage had come to earth. He had died on the cross. He had risen from the dead. He had gone back to heaven. He had sent the Holy Spirit who filled all of his followers who then couldn't contain themselves and they ran out to tell everybody else about this Jesus who had risen from the dead being the Messiah, the one they were all waiting for. All the Jewish people knew about the Messiah and they were all waiting for him. And all his followers started to say, guess what, he came. He's done it. He's only gone and done it. And we can follow him and we can be filled by his Holy Spirit and live in power. And Saul was raging. He didn't believe it. That's the biblical translation. He didn't believe it. It's like he was still waiting for the Messiah. He knew the scriptures, remember, inside and out, back and forth. He was like, missed it. He missed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was so convinced of that, that he was actually on a mission with his position and standing in the community to destroy the church who followed Jesus at that time. He was out to discredit Jesus, to disprove Jesus and destroy his followers. And in doing that, he thought he was fighting for what was true. He thought he was fighting for what was right because he thought Jesus and his followers were a dodgy cult. He did not think they were God-fearing at all. He certainly didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And again, he writes about that later on. It says, you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God. I was trying to destroy it. So humanly speaking, Saul was on a road to success. He was building good reputation for himself. He had good standing in the community. He had comfortable options because of his citizenship. He was successful as a Pharisee and he had extra kudos with the other Pharisees because he was on a mission to disprove Jesus and destroy his followers. And then, one day, it all changed. Everything changed because Saul had a moment an encounter moment completely changed his life. He was actually on one of his missions to go and try and kill and destroy followers of Jesus. And he's on this road with his companions. They're walking along and this blinding light comes out of heaven. And he has an encounter with the risen Jesus who he didn't believe in. <laughs> Jesus spoke to him from heaven and he said, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? What's the plan here? <laughs> and we're told that Saul struck blind in that moment. 
They have this conversation. Jesus is completely revealed to him in one conversation, in one encounter, in one moment as the risen Messiah, the one that they've all been waiting for. Saul got it so wrong and he was like, whoa. He's introduced to Jesus. He stays blind, we're told, for three days. His friends had to help him on into the city and then he just lay in a room for three days, completely blind. Then God sends somebody else to go meet him, pray for him, explain what's happened And this is Saul's response. This is so cool. Remember his life until this point. Remember how he'd been like building this reputation on this career path. Life was sweet. He was going for success. And this is what he did after one encounter with Jesus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What he was doing in that moment was utter career suicide. Nothing could ever be the same again for Saul from that moment on. As soon as he opened his mouth and declared, Jesus is the risen son of God, it was all over for him. And he knew it. No reputation, no standing in the community, no position, no success, no career, no security, no safety, I was wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. You need to hear me. And he starts to preach and it's amazing. He had one encounter and it lasted three days <laughs> and it completely changed his life. And I loved, do you not love that it was three days that changed Saul's life completely, absolutely turned his whole world around? three days that changed his life and actually began to change who the good news of Jesus was being spread to. We'll get to that in a minute. But I love it because it was also three days that completely changed the world. It was also a three-day period that completely changed the course of human history for the rest of eternity. When Jesus was crucified as the King of the Jews on day one and on day three, Didn't he rise again as the king of the universe? And for you and for me and life as anyone had known it until that moment was forever radically changed. I love that. Following Jesus for Saul was hugely costly. We read on that as he was teaching, he couldn't stop himself. He just kept going to the synagogue, which was the church. And he was like, guess what, guess what? I need to tell you, I need to tell you about Jesus being the Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for. He's come already and he's in heaven, but he's done it. He's defeated death and sin and we can all live free in his kingdom. And then the Jews around that area, then they were raging. It was their turn. (laughs) They were like, what has happened? Weren't you on a mission to kill these very people who are saying this same thing and now you're one of them. You're crazy. You are crazy and you're wrong. And so they conspired to kill him. So much so that he had to escape from the city. He ran away. He went to Jerusalem, but he didn't hide. He didn't get to Jerusalem and be like, phew, close call. That's it. Lord, I have been bold for you. He went straight back out and was like, guess what, Jerusalem? I was wrong. (laughs) Jesus is the risen son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for all this time. And then a whole other set of Jews, the Greek Jews rose up and they didn't like him either. And they were like, now we're gonna try and kill you. It was so costly for Saul to follow Jesus, to give his life to him. 
And Trey shared last week that the Jews had this kind of worldview that the Jewish people were here, the right people, they thought, and then everybody else was just called other nations or Gentiles, everybody else. So everybody who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. And the Jews were right, okay? The chosen people. It's what they, it's what they believed. But later on in Romans, Saul actually announced himself as um, the apostle to the Gentiles. He had another, like an epiphany. He was like, here, <laughs> these people that have been excluded from this good news, I'm actually here to love them with the love of God and actually tell them about the good news about Jesus. It's open to them as well. And that's why I'm here. That's what's going on with my life. I find my purpose. And he believed in it so much so that he surrendered again And he surrendered his Jewish name at that point, Saul. And he started to go by his Roman name, which was Paul. So that he could reach more people with the love of Jesus. It was so costly for him to follow Jesus. It cost him his life. It cost him his reputation. It cost him his comfort. It cost him his career. It cost him his success. It cost him his position. It cost him his reputation. The whole thing cost him his life. But the only way that Saul could choose to live after that one encounter on the road when he met Jesus as the risen son of God was to surrender it all. Surrender was his only option. (laughs) He was so undone. He was so wrecked by meeting Jesus that there was absolutely nothing else that he could do. And we find out later on as Paul is writing to one of the churches just how costly it was for him in his life. There's a whole big list of things that he went through as a direct result of being a follower of Jesus. These weren't just things that happened in his life. This was because he followed Jesus. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was, um, what was he? He was in danger (laughs) wherever he went, in the country, in the city, on the sea, wherever he was. He was shipwrecked. He was lonely. He was starving. He went without It was a hard life. Obviously, that's only the hard stuff. Amazing things happened through Paul's life as well. But the hard stuff, the surrender was costly. But it was his only response. He's like, yeah, but I met the risen Jesus. I encountered the truth of who he is. So the only way, my only response can be utter surrender to him. Now, I know that we probably don't have very many Pharisees or Roman citizens in this room or watching online for that matter. And I know that for us, the cost of following Jesus, what surrender looks like in our lives might not look the same exactly as what it did for Paul. We may not lose our lives following Jesus in our context, but we may lose friendships we may lose position. We may lose comfort. We may lose reputation. 
people might start thinking we're crazy. People might not agree with us. People might think we're wrong. People might speak out against us. It might look different. But it costs us surrender to follow Jesus. We surrender our lives to him in order to follow him. And a few weeks ago, we actually looked at some of the areas that we thought were most commonly difficult for us as those who believe or follow Jesus. The hardest areas, the things we find the hardest to give up, to surrender to him. And I think it's because there's a bit of a tension with it, you know? Like on the one hand, we really want safety and security in our lives and we've worked up to this point in our lives towards that goal, right? We've like put good things in place in our lives so that we're creating this safety and this security. And so we've got that here held, but what if surrender means that Jesus wants to be our safety and security and we let that go? That's a tension, isn't it? We've got the tension of relationships. On the one hand, we've got, yes, but we love having good relationships in our lives and and we love doing good things in our community so that people think we're good. Surely if we do good in our community and have a good reputation here, then people far from Jesus will hear us more when we talk about Jesus. But what if surrender means that our reputation is ripped to shreds? What if surrender to Jesus looks like we lose relationships? What if it means sometimes we're choosing loneliness? It's a tension. We all have dreams and ambitions for our lives, don't we? We have plans. We daydream about what life might be. And we hold those dreams. But what if surrender to Jesus means none of those things happen in our lives? What do we do then? How does life look from that point on in surrender to Jesus? Because human logic would tell us that wisdom says you don't let go of what you know to walk into something unseen. That's foolish, that's irresponsible. Human wisdom would tell us, and of course you can have all these lovely things in your life, that's beautiful. Just invite Jesus into the middle of it and he'll bless you. But what if surrender to Jesus means that he's calling us out of the very things that we're trying to just invite him into. It's costly surrender to follow Jesus. Now, for those of us who are Irish in the room, let me help with the guilt. There is nothing wrong with having good things in our lives. Our God is abundant and extravagant and more generous than we can ever get our mind around. And he lavishes good things on us all the time. It's not God's desire to rip all the good things out of our lives, but it is God's desire to make sure those good things do not rip all our devotion away from him. Not because we have an insecure God. He's very secure. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need the good things. He doesn't need us to be miserable. He doesn't want us to be miserable. It's the opposite. 
God wants us to be free. And he knows that if any good things in our lives take first place in our heart, they're the most important thing in our lives, then they have moved from being just good things in our lives to being gods in our lives. And nothing else was designed to be a God. And actually us putting people or things in that position in our lives is not fair on them because they were never meant to be God's. When anything else takes the place of God in our lives, we become enslaved to that very good thing. Our family, our job, our safety, our security, our ambitions, our dreams, whatever it is. And God knows that and he wants to set us free and surrender to him is the only way to find true freedom. (laughs) An American pastor put it like this. I thought this was really cool. If slavery remains an option, we will find ourselves abdicating our freedom. We just don't usually call it slavery. We call it safety. We call it comfort. We call it security. We call it responsibility. We need to recognize what slavery looks like because it usually looks like very respectable wisdom words, humanly speaking. (laughs) Freedom in Jesus looks like utter devotion and surrender to him in every single area of our lives, whatever the cost. It's the only way to walk in freedom. And actually what happens when we start walking in freedom like that, all those good things take their rightful place in our lives and we're able to enjoy them even more (laughs) because we're able to enjoy them without the fear of losing them. We're able to enjoy them without anxiety around controlling them. We're able to enjoy them without jealousy of someone else enjoying it more or taking it away from us. We're able to enjoy it without comparison of what anyone else has. True freedom can only ever look like utter devotion and surrender to Jesus, whatever the cost. And so as we finish this morning, I want us to go really practical, all right? I want us to look at what does that mean? What does it mean right now (laughs) in this moment? What does it mean tomorrow morning when I get up? What does it mean as I walk out and walk away into the rest of my life? And honestly, the practical what is going to look different for each of us because we're all different, aren't we? We're all uniquely, wonderfully designed as image bearers of God. So each practical will probably look uniquely, wonderfully individual. But surrender is a position of the heart that our actions follow. So where surrender begins is the same in all of us. How it plays out will look different in each of us. Does that make sense? Okay, so for some of us, you might be here this morning or watching online, you don't know Jesus at all, and you're having a moment like Saul did on that road, and you're like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I've been living with me as God all these years or with my family as God or my job or whatever it is. And I realize now you're it. God, you're the only God and I need to surrender my whole life to you. And you know what? We have somebody here this morning, a very special part of our family. And 19 years ago today, he did that very thing. Patty, where are you? 
down at the back. Patty Ward, we love you. You're such a treasured member of this family. 19 years. Happy birthday. Woo. Maybe today's your Patty day. <laughs> today's your day. You're like, I'm all in. <laughs> it's different than Patty's day. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you know Jesus already and surrender in your life might look like, but I've never told anyone. I love Jesus, but it's sort of private and I keep it really quiet. I think I'd be a wee bit embarrassed. They wouldn't understand. Maybe they wouldn't be my friend anymore. They wouldn't get it. I know how they feel about Christians, etc., etc. Maybe we come to services and we sort of slip away and we don't really live for Jesus as kingdom carriers in our everyday world. Maybe surrender today is getting over that reputation to go, okay, risk a loss. I'm going to do it. Jesus, you're worth it. Maybe for some of us, our friends and work colleagues and whatever, people in our lives do know that we love Jesus, but we're like, I don't really talk about him properly with them because I don't want to put them under pressure. No. Amen to that. Let's not put anyone under pressure, please. That's terrible. <laughs> but we've gone so far the other way that we're just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't want to talk about it. Mortified. <laughs> maybe our risk, maybe our surrender today is listening to conversations that are happening around us with our friends. And if there's a moment where we can introduce them to Jesus, we just do that. Or maybe it's listening to that nudge of the Holy Spirit when we're somewhere in public and we see somebody we don't know and the Lord's like, they need encouraged. Can you just go? And again, you're like, oh, I feel a bit sick. I'm just going to walk away. Hello very much. Oh. No, don't do it like that. So, but we feel like that on the inside, right? Hopefully on the outside we go, hi. Let's go on. Super calm. And we offer to pray for them or we give them an encouragement that might, might be from the Lord. Ha. Oh. Maybe for others of us, it's time to start leading something in our street or schools or workplaces or kids' sports clubs or um, in church or somewhere <laughs> to intentionally share Jesus with the people around us in groups. What about gathering a few friends and just walking around the streets where you live and praying blessing over where we live? As we bump into people, we can maybe offer to pray for them. If it's appropriate, don't be a stalker. <laughs> maybe for others of us we're working in a job but we feel that we nudge we stirring of the Holy Spirit going I actually have a different path for you and it's time to look into retraining in a different career in a different direction maybe for others of us though we're in a job and we're finding it really tough and the Lord's saying just stay put I need you where you're at and maybe that's surrender in our lives Maybe for some of us, we own our own business and we've been doing really well. We've been working honestly as good Christian business people. But what if the King of Kings, Saviour of the world, risen Jesus, Son of God, has a different plan for the way that you do business that doesn't make sense on a business plan? Maybe surrender means listening to his voice and stepping into that. For others of us, the Lord may be calling us to move area within Ireland or the UK or further afield to replant our lives somewhere else in a community that needs to hear about Jesus. Maybe it's church planting. The list is endless, by the way. <laughs> so please, before you again do the Irish thing of write yourself off, because phew, you weren't mentioned in the list. <laughs> the list is endless. 
how the outworking, uniquely individual to each one of us. The start point, surrendered heart, is a position that our actions follow. Lord, what is it? And if you're listening, you're going, do you know what, Janet? I love the sound of that and I would absolutely love to live like that, but I haven't got the foggiest clue where to start. How, just what? What do you mean, nudge of the Holy Spirit? What are you even talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Fear not. We do have Encounter More. That's going to be amazing. But also before that, we have a training day coming up in here. It's a free day. You can register in a couple of Saturdays time. Just come along. Learn how. That's what we're going to be looking at. It's going to be amazing. If you've been to a million of these and they haven't really activated you yet, come ahead. Be encouraged. If you come to loads of these and you live like this every day, come ahead. Be encouraged and help other people. Encourage other people around you who are just starting out. It's going to be brilliant. But you know what? For some of us, surrender and, um, to the Lord looks like giving up on a dream that we've carried for a really long time. And with this story, I'm going to close so we have time to meet with Jesus at the end of this service. Continue to meet with Jesus, I should say. <laughs> it's not in sections. <laughs> so I have a friend who really showed me and taught me what surrender looks like when it comes to the deepest desires of your heart. She was at a stage of her life. This is a real friend. It's not a made-up story. <laughs> she was at a stage of her life where she was single, but she was really ready not to be. And she had this dream to get married and be a mum, but she didn't just want to get married for the sake of being married. She wanted to meet somebody who loved Jesus, was so passionate about the Lord and was going the same direction as her. And it just looked many times like it wasn't going to happen for her. And I just remember her going, but you know what, Jana, I just love God more than this dream. And if I never get married, Lord, you're enough for me. And she surrendered the dream. <sighs> so beautiful. My goodness, it was hard. It was so costly. But she did it day after day after day. And actually, a few years later, she met an amazing man <laughs> and they fell in love and they did get married. And it was an incredible moment. And then as a couple, they chose to continue that journey of surrender when they couldn't conceive. And their dreams for how family life was going to look for them radically shifted. And they together then said, Lord, we love you more than the dream of having children. We surrender our right to having kids because you are enough. And God brought them on the most beautiful, costly journey of what family life might look like for them. And they are now the adoptive parents of two of the most beautiful children that you could ever meet. But it didn't stop there. <laughs> Because then as a four, they didn't close in and go, thank you, Lord, for your beautiful ways. You've answered my prayers and now we're gonna make it safe. Now we're gonna hold on to this good thing that you've given us and let this good thing become God in our lives because we still love you more than our family. We still love you more than our comfort and our safety and our security. And so they have, as a four, as a little family, expanded their hearts and their home even wider to become a foster family in our community so that kids who need it can come into their home for a season and be loved by them and experience the love of Jesus. It's absolutely beautiful. My goodness, you better believe it's costly though. <laughs> it is messy. It is loud. 
There is crying in the middle of the night. There are nappies. There is food on the wall. Sometimes they do clean their house, just saying at dinner time. It's costly. There are stories coming into their home that should never be written in any child's life. With that comes mess. But they wouldn't live any other way. And you know what? I text them during the week and I was like, guys, do you mind if I share this story? And they were like, yes, go, it's amazing. We're so excited, share it, share it. But then they also said this thing and I was like, oh, thank you. You've just showed me how to close my talk on Sunday. (laughs) So they said this. The only thing is, be careful because when our story's told or read, it can sound very holy, but actually it just looks very ordinary. Well, that's it. That's what holiness looks like. When we take our normal, everyday, ordinary moments, and we'll get to that in more detail in a few weeks' time, but when we take all of that and we surrender every moment to the Lord, my goodness, it's holy. Looks ordinary, is holy. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources, and opportunities, you can check us out at cosmicoastvineyard.com. <laughs>